0: Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host,
1: Christina Pratt.
0: Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now? This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin here today by calling in the spirits to gather round. So I call out first to our ancestors, to yours and mine, to those people who lived well and died well and who bring to us the legacy of all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines. I call out to these people who are able to serve as ancestral helping spirits and to be with us in the day to help the living to have the courage and the vision, the insight, the creativity to do what it is that they have come into this life to do. So we call out to these ancestors for it is on their shoulders that we stand and we ask them to help us to not make the same mistakes that have been made over and over and over but to learn from those who have gone before us to open to possibilities to face the fears that make us afraid to do something new and to learn from the past and do it in a better way and we ask the ancestors in particular to gather around us to help us to understand to what do we need to hold true and to what do we need to innovate so we give thanks to these ancestors for gathering around us. And we take a moment to move our awareness from our head down to our heart, our heart down to our belly. And with our awareness in our body, extend our energy down into the earth and to take a moment to give gratitude for this day, gratitude for the beauty and the wonder and the mystery that this day holds and gratitude for the miracle of life gratitude for all that is in the life, that which is clear, clearly a gift, and that which is not yet clear, the gift that it is. So for that which is good and that which doesn't quite feel that way yet, let us give thanks for that as well. So with gratitude for life and all that has brought us to this moment, all that is and all that will be, we extend our energy down through all the layers of the earth to the very center of the earth. And we reach into that great being, into the heart of the earth, and we give thanks and invite this energy to come up into our day. And in this way, we draw up all the wisdom of manifestation, how to be here in form in a good way. We draw this energy up that we can manifest in our life, grounding, good boundaries, connection, a sense of home that travels with us, a sense of belonging that moves with us no matter what group we are in. We call out to the earth to help us with these energies that we can stand here in the place that matters to us, in a place that we believe in and are willing to act, to manifest. We give thanks to the earth for connection and interconnection, and ultimately the sense of the oneness of all things. May we have a moment in this day where we feel that connection, that oneness of all things. May we take our right relationship with ourselves from that, and then from that right relationship with others, right relationship with our environment, and right relationship with the invisible world. So we give thanks to the earth for the wonder of her dreaming that brought life as we experience it to the face of this planet. And with that earth energy rising up into our bellies and from our bellies to our hearts and our hearts to our mind, let us send that energy up and out, out through the sky and whatever weather it holds for you here today, out through the atmosphere and out into the cosmos. And as we move past the great wonders of our cosmos and all the heavenly bodies, the stars the galaxies out to the highest part of the universe and by whatever name, you know, this energy, name it, see yourself reflected in it and it reflected in you and draw this energy down through all the layers of the sky, drawing into this day, the energy of blessing, the energy of protection and guidance, the energy of generosity and benevolence, the energy of right action, the energy of clear vision, creativity, and innovation and as we draw this energy down into our heads and our hearts and our bellies let us take a moment and just imagine the meeting of these two great legendary lovers the earth and the sky coming together within us in that energy that has brought all life in form as we experience it here into manifestation and let us call out the energy of the heart to awaken in that space, in that space of the love of the two great lovers and let the heart open to the crucible of change that it is and call up the fiery passions of our bellies and the crystal clarity of our mind and bring these energies together in our heart and let those energies dance, this dynamic dance of tension that gives birth to that third and as yet unknown energy, the energy of your soul's purpose. And may you find in that very same heart the courage in this day to do something large or small to bring that soul's purpose into manifestation in the world. So we give thanks to the spirits for gathering around. May what needs to be said be said, what needs to be heard be heard, and may these proceedings go forward in a way that are good for all living things. We have great thanks for the spirit help that abounds in all shapes and forms. I also have great thanks to those humans who are helping me to keep the show alive and on the air. I give thanks to Dolores and Olivia, to Deb, Lawrence and Sarah and all of the listeners who have donated to the show. If this show is meaningful to you in any way, it has moved you. Even if it moves you to frustration and distraction, Uh, please allow yourself to be moved in the heart into action and do something to support the growth of the show. You can go to WhyShamanismNow.com, click the support button and donate any amount of money in any currency, large or small. It is all greatly appreciated and, and it all goes to keeping the show on the air directly. And I give thanks to those of you who are not able to donate financially but who do things to help the show to grow, Um, sending me questions, sending me great ideas for the shows, great ideas for guests, and also those of you who send me those lovely emails that simply share with me how you have taken what you've listened to on the show into action in your life and how it is changing things. And so for all of the many ways that you all help the show stay alive and well and free to those who choose to tune in or are able to tune in, thank you. And I'd also like to give thanks to our guest, Stephen Baer. Thank you, Stephen, for being with
1: us today. Oh, it's it's my pleasure. I always enjoy talking with you.
0: So for those of you who, I don't know, are sleeping under rocks these days, uh, Stephen is the author of Singing to the Plants, and he's been on the show many times. Singing to the Plants is available um, through your website, right, Stephen?
1: I'm sorry? Yes, you the, can do it through the website, or you can get it right on Amazon.
0: Or probably anywhere at this point. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> anywhere uh, Stephen, fine
1: books are sold.
0: Where fine books are sold. And Stephen's uh, website is... Singing uh,
1: uh, plants. www.singingtotheplants.com
0: And it is also um, the portal to access his um, great abundance of fabulous blogs. How many years are there, Stephen?
1: Um, I could look, but my guess would be five or six, no, more, six years <laughs> it's, of it's uh, blog posts.
0: Yeah, you can be lost there all day reading. It's fabulous. Well, thank you. I, I, I hesitate to go because I always end up there for three or four hours, just <laughs> going from one thing to another. And then, wait a minute, what was I supposed to do today? It's wonderful. So um, Stephen is a professor and author who holds doctorates in both religious studies and psychology. He has worked with ayahuasca and other sacred plants in the Amazon, peyote, and the ceremonies of the Native American church. And I don't actually know the correct way to pronounce, uh,
1: Wachuma? Wachuma. Yeah. You got it.
0: In uh, Peruvian Mesa rituals and undertaken numerous four day and four night solo vision fasts in Death Valley, in the Pecos Wilderness, in the, is it Gila Wilderness? Gila. New
1: Mexico? I've never been there. Oh, um and beautiful. The, the it's high. It's, yeah. it's like the, the high desert. Wow. Tignon Pine. It's just, It's beautiful. Mm,
0: sounds wonderful. Stephen is also a favorite guest on the show. <laughs> we always we just keep looking for excuses to have him come back. Um, so there are three shows for those of you who don't know already in the archives with Stephen as guest. One is talking about his book, shamanism in general, plant medicines and their role in both healing and harming, and just um, ways of understanding shamanism. The second show we talk more specifically about the sacred plants themselves and, and about the possibility that we need a new way of understanding, um, working with the plants and in particular, working with them in their ceremonial conditions versus just extracting their active elements out and thinking um, it's all going to be the same. And then we did also one of my favorite shows, um, just talking about what do the spirits want from us? Why do they bother to come and help us what what is it that is really at the essence of that relationship between humans and what we refer to as the spirit world so there's lots of joyful listening (laughs) today we're going to talk in particular about um the reciprocal obligation inherent in working with plant spirits um and and I think of them as sort of different vectors of confusion that are coming at that (laughs) (laughs) because at the heart of it, we have the plant spirits and how they have taught us to work with them and, and the traditions of working with them over time that come from this ongoing dialogue between the practitioners and the plants, between the spirit of spirits of the humans talking with the spirits of the plants and, and us discovering what works and, 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 and now today, so that's at the heart of this because that's not gone. A lot of people think that's gone. It's not gone. Um, but then there's these vectors coming in. There is this well-intentioned medical vector, which is um, a big part of our conversation today. There's also what I call the entitlement vector. <laughs> <laughs> it's this, this culture of, of people younger than me <laughs> who have access to everything. And they want it all now, and there's, there's not a lot of awareness or value for the journey that brings you to a particular place and time and relationship with things. There's this idea that I paid my money, the ayahuasca dammit should give me enlightenment tonight in this ceremony, no matter where that ceremony is held or who's holding it. And it's kind of this entitlement thing. And then, of course, there's the now currently much publicized ecotourism piece of um, going, going to wherever to do whatever sacred plants happen to be there for a vacation. So, it's <laughs> a lot to talk
1: about. That's um, a lot to talk about.
0: So, let's just focus on the whole medicalization piece and... Maybe
1: we could just start there. Um, Okay. Yeah. Well, coming up in Oakland, California, um, is the uh, conference called Psychedelic Science 2013. And if anybody out there is interested in um, the use of psychedelics at all, this is the place to be. There are going to be uh, clinical tracks, uh, there are going to there's going to be an entire ayahuasca track where I don't know maybe 60 researchers from all over the world are going to come and talk about their research with ayahuasca. There will be presentations on the use of ayahuasca and iboga um, to uh, heal addictions. There will be discussions on the use of psilocybin uh, to deal with anxiety, um, and it is as the title says, a, a scientific conference. and I will be presenting a paper there. Um, Christina, you're going to come, aren't you?
0: I am coming. <laughs>
1: yeah. yes, you, yes. To the people out there, let me tell you, Christina and I have been friends now for years, and we've talked on the show and we've talked on the telephone, and I have never met her. <laughs> we came this close to each other a couple months ago but a Chicago snowstorm ruined that, right? You're that?
0: Well, it sort of threatened to.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then we all just gave up.
1: <laughs> so anybody yeah. out there who, who wants to uh, meet Christina, wants to listen to my talk, or wants to just uh, see one of the, the really important psychedelic science conferences that there are, Uh, Anywhere in the world, I I recommend that you come. And and at this conference, as in preceding conferences and other conferences that have been held elsewhere, what we hear a lot of talk about are are what the sacred plants can do for us. That is, they can heal our wounds, they can cure our addictions, they can expand our minds. And and we've been taught to think about the sacred plants as useful prepackaged collocations of active molecules. But as as Christina has has pointed out, in indigenous cultures, shamans heal because they're in a mutual relationship with the healing spirits. So when When we use the sacred plants, and I'm talking about um, wachuma and peyote and ayahuasca and tayonanakot, when we use the sacred plants, our encounters with the world of the spirits are not visits to the therapist. Instead, they create a relationship that entails obligations as well. So in this view, the sacred plants are autonomous others who are not means to our ends to heal us or cure us or expand us, but they're rather ends in themselves. So like vision fasts or dreams or talking circles, any time you use these plants, it's a sacred shamanic ceremony and and these ceremonies often have their their own often unforeseen purposes so at these conferences and and most places where people talk about the sacred plants it's made clear what we expect from the sacred plants but i think that we here on this program and among the people who listen to this program We have to keep asking the shamanic question, which is, what do the sacred plants expect from us? You know,
0: I, this is such, uh, there is a story about, um, is it Maria Sabina and and the psilocybin mushrooms and how, and it's it's part of a the theme in sort of this background talking about shamanism, about how the shamans are losing their powers, how it gets interpreted. But I think it's a misunderstanding because I think it actually ties back to what we're talking about today. So we have Maria Sabina in, let's just for sake of this discussion, in right relationship with the mushrooms. Mm-hmm. In her reciprocal relationship, maintaining that. And as she works with her people, they're also – Making their offerings, saying their prayers, singing their songs, you know, whatever it is they're meant to be doing to stay in that relationship, that it is reciprocal and there is exchange. Even if we can't comprehend what in the world the plants need from us, we can at least imagine that it's something like thank you <laughs> or please, mm-hmm. or you know, something. I mean… Okay, let me not get distracted. Okay, so then as the story goes, I can't remember who's the researcher that goes to start to work with her?
1: R. Gordon Wasson. Yeah, right. um, Was a a banker and an amateur mycologist. And he, uh, as part of his researches, went went down among the Mazatec and found not only Maria Sabina, other um, Mazatec, healers who used this mushroom and he was very excited because there were um, ancient references there there were centuries old references to the teonanakit and he was able to identify the psilocybe mushroom with the the ancient textual references to the teonanakit the sacred but go ahead, finish this. Well, <laughs> go ahead with this. No, story. that's
0: exactly it. So he's all excited, and he gets to put two and two together academically and research-wise and history-wise, and he has his own great experiences with the mushrooms. But he, he doesn't give back. He doesn't know how to give back. Mm-hmm. And and you know, often what I see is that. The fact that we don't give back is so shocking to the indigenous people where the giving back, that reciprocity is so um, ingrained in the nature of how they do life Mm -hmm. that they don't know we're not giving back in a sense because they can't imagine not doing it. And so there's a certain confusion or blindness there almost.
1: I think that's exactly right.
0: And so then – so so he so he takes and he doesn't even mean to be taking you know I mean that that's, he's sincerely excited I mean he's sincerely in a good place around all this it's the best of all possible worlds except that he doesn't understand that he is not giving back and Maria Sabina's relationship with the mushrooms suffers
1: I think and I would exactly I'm not blaming right. them
0: all on him but this is what I see happening is. Because we're not maintaining that relationship, the power that we gained through that relationship to make all these amazing things happen wanes because it's the relationship that's waning. We're in debt,
1: in other words. I think, that, I think that's exactly right. And, and Wasson was looking for his own spiritual benefit. He took these mushrooms and he said it was this, this transcendent, experience. He said he saw God. And to Maria Sabina, this made no sense, because she was, among other things, a a good Catholic. And if you want to see God, you go to Mass. (laughs) The mushrooms were for healing. Mm -hmm. And when Wasson wrote this up, and it was was a front-page story in Life magazine. I mean, he brought down Life magazine photographers with him record all of this. Of course, what happened was that hordes of Westerners, North Americans seeking enlightenment, hippies, came down and started taking the mushrooms and started to, to ask for ceremonies so that they could have some kind of transcendent experience. Maria Sabina could not understand why these healthy well-fed North Americans were coming down to be healed. There was nothing wrong with them. And they, they helped to ruin the ecology by, by not taking care when harvesting the mushrooms. Exactly what's happening with peyote in, in the southwestern desert today. Um, and Maria Sabina said that her relationship with the mushrooms was, was gone. And this is a really good story to raise because there is a very important question now about whether this is exactly what's happening with ayahuasca in the upper Amazon, where Mm -hmm. hordes of gringo tourists go down there. Hordes is probably an exaggeration, but certainly a whole bunch (laughs) of of gringo tourists go down there. and, And there is a real question about the ways in which This interchange is affecting both the indigenous healing tradition and the ways in which ayahuasca shamanism and the use of ayahuasca is being translated, for better or for worse, into the kinds of terms, the kinds of understandings of uh, sickness and healing that you find in North America and that are totally different from those understandings in the upper Amazon.
0: So this is, I think, you know, when I was calling in the ancestors and asking that maybe we could learn from our past mistakes, (laughs) this is really what I mean. We're at a time on the planet where I, I, I think I wouldn't have to argue too hard to say there's just too many people here and, and we need to, um, we need the healing the plants have to offer and and we need to go about this in a way that preserves that relationship so that um the dynamics of healing can happen and and i I feel like we've i feel like we've we've seen this mistake already played out but i'm I'm not sure it was labeled correctly, so I don't think people are putting two and two together and realizing, "hmm, you know maybe we shouldn't do this with peyote and ayahuasca and you you know. Um, I I still think that we um, don't understand. We think we understand, but we don't understand. And we're going to do it again. And we're going to run out of (laughs) sacred (laughs) plants. I
1: I think it is certainly true that, uh, first, I think Americans have a very, very short attention span. And I think that they, they pick things up as fads. I have been fascinated, when I put on my anthropology hat, I have been fascinated because I think you can date the the North American, European interest in ayahuasca to a very specific date. Usually these things are, are, are gradual and vague, but I think there was a single event that, that sparked the interest in ayahuasca, which was the publication in 1993 of uh, Luis Eduardo Luna's book, containing all of Pablo Amaringo's paintings mm-hmm. that purported to represent his ayahuasca visions. And I think it was the publication of that book that was the spark that ignited this tremendous interest in ayahuasca. Um, and so I can I can talk as an anthropologist about um, uh, really two phases in, in ayahuasca shamanism generally— One is prior to about 1995, uh, and the other is after about 1995, when this this cultural, this intensive cultural interchange started to happen, Um, although I am not sure how much effect it has had on the, the bulk of shamanic practitioners in the upper Amazon. There are only a relatively small number of practitioners who have become specialists in um, in serving gringos. Um, I call them gringistas. There are only a relatively small number of, of gringo specialists in the upper Amazon. But it is having an effect. It has an economic effect. It has an effect on the ways in which they, they view their own practice, and it has an effect on the terms they use and the concepts they communicate in... Um, serving the 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 clients who, who come from far away to uh, to drink ayahuasca. Mm-hmm.
0: And and part of the challenge that I see in it goes back to the the piece of the story with Maria Sabina and uh, about her confusion between the distinction between seeing God and getting healing. You know and 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 I because one of the things That I've been talking about a lot lately is it's time. (laughs) It's time for us to begin to practice our shamanism shamanically from a belief in oneness, not a belief in the separation. Uh-huh. and this whole this whole idea that there is a separation between my health my well-being my living soul's purpose my living my reason that I'm here and then this whole going off to have a transcendent experience with ayahuasca that it's still it's still being approached um, from from this belief in this separation between the the physical and the spiritual, between you know man and God, and 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 it's, and so if we've got practitioners who are beginning to specialize in people that believe in the separation, then you're going to start getting ceremonies that that also are based in that separation. I mean, I because I I went to the Amazon in '95. Uh uh-huh. And what I saw. You beat the rush. I beat the rush right, and, and, and <laughs> part of what I saw is how the beliefs the shamans were expressing to us, because we all went to learn from them as well, mm-hmm. confused everybody, because they weren't based in religious religion and the idea of the fundamental idea of our separation from God. Mm-hmm. But they were based in oneness and, well, frankly, Taoism. You know. Shamanic Taoism, essentially, and but basically based in the understanding people get if they observe nature and live in it,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that and and that I have been criticized regularly throughout my practice for not calling Jesus Christ in at my altars, uh huh, because Jesus was a shaman is what everybody says, blah 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 blah, but my point is. We will be here all day if I call in Jesus Christ and all of his counterparts and all of the world religions (laughs) because I'm not Mm -hmm. calling in one without calling in everyone. So that's one thing. But the other thing is I am trying not to propagate the idea of this separation that is fundamental in our understanding of religion. I'm not sure it's fundamental. You know, I whether or not it's really in the ancient teachings, I don't know, but because I don't read those languages. But my point is the separation and our separating the active ingredient out of the plant are separating the experience of the of the sacred plant from the ceremony are separating all of this from the shamanism are are going down to expect shamanism that doesn't challenge us that is rooted in you know religious ideas that we're comfortable with this is all us continuing to make the same mistake
1: which is i think i think that go ahead i think that i agree with that i i think Part of the problem is, and this is not just going to the, the upper Amazon to drink ayahuasca, or going to um, uh, a sweat lodge, um, or visiting Siberia. Um, often what people bring with them is what you called earlier a sense of entitlement. And I think that's a good description. I i have described as simply being self referential mm-hmm. um people go because they want to be healed of their childhood trauma they want a a transcendent experience they want an epiphany um they they want to be changed by some kind of a lightning bolt and um it's all very self referential they're going for themselves um what they want is, in what I have described in the context of people going out on vision fast, is that they want to see the pink neon buffalo come galloping over the horizon and and giving them some kind of an epiphany, some kind of a, of uh, a, an experience that will transform them instantly into what they want to be who that will somehow. Take them from where they are to where they want to be, without following the path from where they are to where they want to be. And I think that's a real problem because I think if shamanism teaches us anything, it's, it's that you have to you have to think about process. Mm-hmm. Um, you have well, to think about it, the path.
0: It's what you were saying earlier that. That if we really go into these ceremonies as intended with these sacred plants, we won't necessarily get what we think we want. Now, in the long run, we may eventually get there if we're willing to follow the path. But the path isn't a straight line.
1: um, It is. And, you know, you can't tell the spirits (laughs) what to give you. They may well have other plans. (laughs) Um, And um, I think... What, what is necessary is to approach the spirits in a, an open-hearted way and to let them take you where they, they think you need to be rather than where you think you need to be.
0: You know it's interesting i I was talking with a client the other day who has done ayahuasca here in the u s with someone who does it regularly here in the u s um, almost two hundred times mm-hmm. which is a lot <laughs> it's really and and she's sitting in my office, so obviously something didn't quite go right and and what she expressed, and I thought it was a very clear distinction. I, I appreciated. She said, Well, I tried to not have expectations. I tried to mm-hmm. not go with an agenda. And I said, Well, that's that's lovely. I understand that. And as a Westerner, that was good good for you. But why were you doing it? You know, the other thing is you do actually need to show up in that relationship with a reason for being there. You need an mm-hmm. intention. You don't get to define how you get your intention, but, but that was the other piece. It's kind of, you know, the other side of that can be, which I see a lot of, frankly, because the other side of that is I'm showing up and I'm just this flaccid, um, bag of bones saying fix me (laughs) Uh (laughs) and not, I mean, I always feel like the helping spirits are, um, out there most clear and effective with me, meaning I'm most clear and effective when I show up as someone who'd be fun to have an adventure with, you know, not dead weight, well, but I that I you, participate. I don't
1: you, you try to run something things. there. I, what I I was think, that? I, yes, I think that way of expressing it captures something, uh, and uh, I'm going to I'm going to think about that. But my immediate reaction is that yeah, um, this. Spirits, it seems to me, you raised the question earlier, why are the spirits so good to us? Well, because when we're at our best, they like us. Mm -hmm. When we are at our best, we are good company for the spirits because we are in right relationship with them. Um, We are able to sing their songs to them. We're able to give them tobacco. That's very important, too, for some reason. We are the only species that can give them tobacco. And um, I think they miss us. I think that, you know, in in um, mythology, um, there was a time when... Humans and animals and the plants and the spirits all spoke the same language. This kind of mythical time when we were all able to communicate to each other in an open-hearted way, and listen to each other devoutly with our hearts. Um, And I think the spirits want that time back and they're they're always willing to help us, but the ultimate thing they want from us, I think, is for us to be in right relationship and because then we can go on this adventure with them, we can look at the incredible beauties of the universe we can We can just live in the magic forest with them, where everything is new and everything is miraculous.
0: And I think when we're at our best we're funny. Yes. I think I think we make them laugh. I think we we innovate not always intentionally and it they just they we just make them laugh when we're really Mm -hmm. at our best. (laughs) So Stephen, let's talk then about this whole path of medicalization of the plants cuz i'm not even you might even want to lay the groundwork cuz i'm not even sure all listeners realize how much research is going on and what is it that the medical researchers are looking for from these plants i mean well, the whole ayahuasca tourism is pretty well advertised but but this whole medicalization piece isn't actually
1: all that known there 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 has been a renaissance of Psychedelic studies, as as you probably know, um, the initial research into psychedelics um, was halted in the in the seventies because um, of fear, because um, there was a lot of um, non institutional experimentation. There were a few advocates of psychedelics, like Timothy Leary, who became um, targets uh, for people who wanted to control psychedelics, and it became very, very difficult to do genuine scientific research with psychedelics. That changed um, first with Rick Strassman, who who was able to get approval to do studies uh, with DMT, dimethyltryptamine, and there have been a number of studies now. Um, the use of psilocybin, which is the, the what is supposed to be the single active molecule of the psilocybin mushrooms. Um, there have been... Uh, uh, there's been... Let me step back. The use of psilocybin mushroom uh, psilocybin in order to alleviate... Uh, anxiety in near-death terminal cancer patients. There have been studies on the use of MDMA uh, to um, help with psychotherapy for post-traumatic stress disorder. There have been studies of uh, uh, not well-designed, in my opinion, but there has been work on the use of iboga or ayahuasca in dealing with addictions. And there is a renaissance of studies of psychedelics to deal with a number of psychiatric conditions. Um, now, we can. Uh, there's lots of critiques you can make of, of this body of research, but the one that concerns me is, is this. Um, are we... Um, What is happening to the relationship with the sacred plants when we use them simply as a source of particular active molecules? When we view the plant simply as a way in which to extract a molecule that will have some kind of a curative effect. For example, ayahuasca, some people have claimed cures cancer or there have been at least stories, anecdotes, of people taking ayahuasca and having their cancer cured. What does that mean about ayahuasca? Is ayahuasca simply an herbal tamoxifen? Is ayahuasca simply a green avastin? Um, Is it simply a chemical that will cure certain kinds of physical diseases? Or is it the body of a spirit with which you need to be in a personal and mutual relationship. Um, Are we simply trading one oppressive regime for another? Right now, the sacred plants are illegal. Does that mean that we are going to trade our use of the sacred plants from having to take them in our basement because we're afraid of the police to a situation where we can only take them in hospitals from people who are wearing white coats and are certified by the state. I'm not sure I see a difference in the way in which we can achieve right relationship with the plants and with the spirits the spirits who are embodied in the
0: plants. Well, and the irony of this is that the very problems we are see- going—the medicalization piece here—is going to the sacred plants to solve are the pro- from a sh- are the problems which, from a shamanic perspective, exist in our culture because we are not in right relationship with mm-hmm. ourselves, with our life, with our. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh it's really just um, well utterly missing where the real source of the problem is but but continuing in the problem trying to find an answer that remains precisely within the consciousness that is the problem, which is that we are not living in right relationship
1: with there the, there is a story um, I think there's a science journalist named Joel Swerdlow who told this story about an ethnobotanist who went, uh, I think, I forget, the Philippines, Malaysia, someplace like that. And he was looking for plants that might be used um, to heal cancer. And he found a shamanic practitioner on this island and uh, who had a reputation for being able to heal cancer uh, using a particular plant. So um, he asked the shaman if he would let him have a sample of the plant, and he sent it back to his laboratory in Switzerland or wherever, and the laboratory reported that the plant had some kind of anti-cancer activity. And so the guy, very excited, went back to the shaman and said, Boy, can I I have some more of that plant? And the shaman said, No. Not clear why. Maybe he was afraid that somebody was going to steal his secrets. Maybe he thought the plant might be misused, but in any event... This ethnobotanist stole the plant, and he took the plants that he had stolen back to the laboratory in Switzerland, where they were analyzed as being exactly the same plant. The molecules were the same, but it no longer had anti-cancer activity. Um, I don't know whether that's a true story or not. If it's a myth, it's a good myth. because it makes a good point. Um, When he stole the plants, he was not in right relationship with them. Um, It may be, too, that the thing that was important in making the plant work, that is, in invoking the spirit of the plant, was not just the molecular structure of the plant, not just its constituents, but the fact that the shaman sang to the plant. Mm -hmm. And if he didn't sing to it, it was inactive. And like I say, I don't know whether that's a true story or not, but if it's a myth, it's a myth with a point, which is that um, you can't, I think, take the molecules out of the plant and somehow expect there to be this right relationship anymore. Um, now, I, this question came up. The, one, the man who, who did this study out at UCLA in um, end-of-life anxiety and terminal cancer patients is a, a psychiatrist named Charles Grob, um, and he is a wonderful man. Uh, I am a great admirer of his. If I were dying of cancer, I would want Charlie Grob to be my doctor. Uh, he is a man of tremendous compassion and understanding, and what he wanted to do was to relieve the suffering of these people who were filled with anxiety because they were going to die of cancer soon. And psilocybin, the active molecule in the sacred Mazatec mushrooms, um, seemed to, to do this, but one of the things he did was to allow the patients to contextualize their relationship with the psilocybin in a ceremonial way if that's what they wanted to do, and I think that was that was a very sensitive thing for him to say it was not in the official report, as I recall, but I believe that he was asked this question just a few weeks ago at a at a conference, and that was his response somehow. Um, we need to be in right relationship with our medicines. And whether that means contextualizing them in ceremony or singing to them um, or, or invoking their spirits, I think that what is important and, and what is part of the healing power of a medicine is that you're in, in right relationship with its spiritual component.
0: You know, and I think people, you know, would listen to us and think we're both nuts, but, <laughs> but there's two parts to this I would want to add, which is that when I work with clients who um, are undergoing chemo or radiation for their cancer, um, and I didn't invent this, actually a, a client of mine told me she was doing this and it really, uh, and it worked, which is she journeyed to the molecule. Or to the, to the wavelength, you know, whatever, you know, she got the name basically from the doctors, she journeyed to the, the medicine, you know, even though it was, was not a plant medicine and, and got to know the energy and talked to it about what she wanted it to do. You know, what, what, what the relationship was about and her perspective and asked it to not be so toxic if possible. And, you know, all these different things and you know the people that I've worked with that have done this have have had, from the doctor's perspective, um, experiences with these treatments that are really on just over the range of good in the range of normal experience with these you know with these uh-huh. um, ex- with these medicines or whatever we want to call them drugs what treatments, and you know and so being in right relationship with everything is kind of the shamanic point and in particular um, in this case if we want these truly sacred plants who have really powerful medicine to offer us to continue to offer it to be in right relationship with them but the other thing I wanted to add is one of the things that really really peeled my eyelids back around all of this frankly was learning from the, not just the shamans in the rainforest, but the people in the rainforest talking about how they worked with all the plants and, and that, you know, particular plants, you sang a particular song at, you know, two o'clock in the morning and you always approach them backwards and you, you know, I mean, there were these really special relationships and that they'd learn from the plants that if they picked them at a certain time or only after the rain or, you know, all these different things, that the plants would flourish in their lives. And that when when they didn't follow that protocol, it's not that the plants, well, sometimes the plants didn't grow, but that... But that the idea that each of these plants has this unique, its own unique life cycle and it has its potencies and its way of working with us and that it's very detailed for people that are masters of plant relationship, which the shamanic people of the rainforest are in general, not just the shamans, but the people that are growing plants and harvesting what's there. I mean, they have huge relationships with the plants. And... The, the 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 woman that I was with right outside of Chicago, when we almost had our fateful meeting, <laughs> you know, she, you guys all had a big drought last year. She uh-huh. worked the spirits of the land there, the, and she she and her husband pay a farmer to work their land,
1: uh-huh. and
0: um, he said their land produced well over fifty percent more than any other land that he was working that that summer. So you know people might think we're nuts thinking that these researchers should you know find a way to have these plant spirits in ceremony to sing to them to do whatever with them but there's huge evidence historically and present time even with my cancer patients that that being in right relationship with things being willing to learn the song and singing it is powerful
1: medicine and it's not that much to ask. I would go one step further. I would say that um, we have to be careful about, again, thinking of these things instrumentally. That um, you, you get into right relationship because you have a better medical outcome. I think we, we have to understand that being in right relationship is an end in itself. Mm -hmm. and that it is something um, that is different from the medical outcome, or maybe the medical outcome is just a part of what being in right relationship means. I should add one thing here, too, because, you know, we're talking about the spirits of the plants, and I remember when I first started studying these things, nobody talked about the spirits of the plants Everybody talked about animal spirits.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, animal spirits were the big thing. And, of course, what people wanted was to be in touch with the spirits of, of big animals, animals that are high up on the food chain, like bears and eagles. Um, and, and then people started realizing that there are animal spirits all over. And then they started realizing there are plant spirits. But for, for a long time in the Amazon... They have recognized that there are spirits in everything. For example, you know that the way in which you learn a plant is to go on a diet, la dieta, where you spend time alone in the wilderness with the plant with no salt, no sugar, no sex, and learn the plant, and the plant teaches you its song, and it teaches you how to prepare it and how to use it. But you can diet not only with plants, You can dye it with gasoline. You can dye it with steel. You can dye it with disinfectant or cologne, all of which have spirits with whom you can be in right relationship. You can dye it with steel. You put steel in in water, and you drink the water, and you develop a relationship with the spirit of steel, which is a protective spirit and can protect you. By clothing you in armor. So there are spirits in everything. There are spirits everywhere.
0: Well, and back to what I was saying before, if we took the steps to be in right relationship with the spirit in everything and ourselves, we wouldn't be experiencing anxiety near death anxiety we wouldn 't be in addiction I mean we wouldn 't be manifesting these very problems that these sincere and and well intended medical practitioners are exploring i mean it 's all circular
1: i think um, for example, the Native American church has i think a very good record in dealing with um, North American indigenous people who are suffering from alcoholism, um, drug addiction, family violence, um, um, many of the consequences of, of what has been called internal colonization. And, and I think that part of that success is due to the use of peyote in the church, which is a heart-opening relationship expanding kind of sacred plant. But I think part of that success is due to the ceremonial context in which it's given. I don't know if you gave mescaline to somebody who was alcoholic, drug-addicted, violent toward his own family. Um, It would have the same effect as being a regular participant in a heart-opening ceremony where the use of peyote is incorporated into a ritual that embeds the person into a set of right relationships. And I think that, um, I think as Rick Strassman suspected during his his own DMT experiments. um... You can't simply put somebody into a hospital environment and, and inject a molecule and expect it to have the same kind of effect that it's going to have when it occurs in the, in the context of a um, heart-opening, ceremonial, um, supportive community.
0: You know, and I'm sitting here listening to you thinking that there's two parts to this. There is the ceremonial piece that you're just talking about, which is the what else happens for us um, in addition to the chemistry when we're in ceremony. Our heart is engaged. Our being is engaged. The other piece is how do we bring ceremony into the laboratory so that all of the work with the plants is held in a sacred way, what would that
1: look like? I, well, you just raised a really interesting point that I hadn't really thought about, but I think you're, you're, you're exactly right. What I would guess, here's a hypothesis to be tested empirically. I would guess that people are going to develop their own ceremonies. I think that if you left people to their own devices, they would create ceremonial contexts for the use of these medicines. Um, But like I say, that's an empirical question. You'd have to test it. But that would be my guess. Just as people um, in extreme circumstances will form themselves into family-like groups, Survivors of disaster, for example, or concentration camp inmates will form family-like groups because being in a family is a natural way for human beings to be in this world. I have a feeling, at least, that if you, if you left people to their own devices, they would create a ceremonial context for the use of the sacred plants.
0: You know, I can see um, at Shift Change in the lab... You know, there's the people going out and the people coming in, they stand around the sacred plant and they sing the song together.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That would be, I would love to see that.
0: You know, and those going off shift bow out and those going on shift (laughs) bow in and they, you know, they, they, and and they ask permission to continue their work that day.
1: I mean, and that is the other piece. Um, and, uh. The next time I see Charlie Grob, I want to ask him some more about, about the ways in which people decided that they wanted to ceremonialize this medical use of psilocybin. And if he was able to detect any difference in outcome or um, any difference at all, one way or the other, or along any of several dimensions.
0: Well, why don't you and I make a date to find him at the conference and ask him?
1: Well, I think that's a great idea. I'm pretty sure he's going to be there. <laughs> okay, and and we will so. corner him and demand that. Demand uh, a
0: response. Well, Stephen, we have once again enjoyed yet another hour too quickly. Thank you so much.
1: Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing you in Oakland. You and I can sit and have a long talk and we can run around and confront scientists it
0: would be delightful
1: (laughs) and again everybody out there not only should you run out and buy my book but you should if you're anywhere in the area you should come to the the conference in in oakland um if you consider yourself a, a member of the the Sacred Plant Community, if you have a particular interest in ayahuasca, I should point out that at the conference, and I believe this is free and open to everybody, on Thursday night there will be an open community forum. I will be one of the moderators. So this is on Thursday night, April 18th. Let me check and make sure that's correct at the...
0: It is, yeah.
1: Okay, and it's going to be at the Marriott, whatever it is. The Oakland Marriott City Center, there will be a a community meeting, an open community meeting, an open mic, where people can talk about issues, especially with regard to um, ayahuasca retreats in the Amazon, uh, questions of physical safety, um, questions about the commercialization and commodification of ayahuasca, questions that have been raised about sexual assaults. On participants at ceremonies in the Amazon, um, so physical and other safety, physical and psychological safety issues. Um, just to talk about where we are, what the problems are, what solutions people may have to the massive changes that have been taking place um, um, in in the area around Quitos and Pucalpa and, and uh, Puerto Maldonado. Um, which started with, with the death of the young man at, the, at one of the ayahuasca centers. And uh, so the, the concern has continued. And I think if you're interested in that, you should all come and let your voice be heard.
0: Thank you, Stephen. I look forward to seeing you next month. Okay. And don't forget Stephen's book and his site, uh, singing to the plants, all one word, dot com. And Stephen, we give thanks to your ancestors and to the ancestors of all of the people that helped you not die in all of your survivalist training and all of the plants and all the animals so that you could have had all the amazing experiences you have had that brought you to be the person that you are today.
1: (laughs) So thank you. Well, thank you. It's always a pleasure.
0: So we give thanks to the ancestors gathered around, the earth below, the sky above, and the heart in the center that connects and unites it all. Thank you, everyone, for listening this week. Have a great week.